Welcome to Better in Real Life, a podcast from the Trestle Collective. I'm your host, Jonathan McGinty, and in this series, I like to have conversations with good folks doing some interesting, pretty cool things. This week, I catch up with Adam Zimmerman, a senior vice president with the Atlanta Braves. Adam's responsible for everything from marketing to fan experience for one of the most successful baseball franchises of the past 30 years. And he's also one of the most savvy music fans that I know. Sturge is my man. I'm loving Sturge. I'm going up for the residency in a couple months up in the Ryman. And then, um, and I don't know if you like, do you like the National at all? I've heard, I've heard of, I've heard of him. Yeah. Because I like Sturgill. Yeah, Sturgill, I think he's just been on a just a creative, just incredible streak with Bluegrass album, Mm -hmm. the one that he just dropped. And um, so I'm going to go up to the Ryman. I usually go up every year and see and see Isbell. Um, and and now Sturgill started a residency at the Ryman. So I'm gonna go check that out in November. Now, and uh, and then the other thing I'm loving is the band. Well, it's a mashup of you know who Bonavera is. Yeah. Bonavera and the guys from the National have put together a project called the Big Red Machine, which is just oh okay. I I have heard of that. Yeah, I need so to listen good. to it. I haven't heard, but I haven't listened so to it. So good. Yeah, really, yeah. really good. So anyway. Um yeah. Didn't I mean, Isbell? We, we have to talk music. We're gonna... Oh, obviously. I mean, yeah, totally. and didn't Isbell play like he was supposed to play year one at the ballpark? And he yeah, got, he got like... sick. Because <laughs> I remember being up there that day, and he was like laying on the patio. Uh, he got sick, and and I mean, it broke my heart because it was like you know me, obviously a huge Isbell fan, and and Jason was going to be the, the the surprise pop up pregame show because he's a huge Braves fan, and I figured people would love that. And then, uh, and then T.I. was the surprise post-game pop-up show. And, and Jason gets sick. And, and Jason's like, I, 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 I've never been sick. Like, I have done just really a lot of things that I shouldn't have done to my body over the years. But for, I, he's like, I am just, like, heartbroken. But, dude, I cannot perform today. And I was like, oh. And he gave it a good go. He just, lay, you know, you saw him. He laid there and, like, tried to give it a go. And I'm like. It's all right, champ. We'll do it again. And then, you know, he came back the second time and, and we had a rain out and we couldn't get the show in. And then out of his own pocket, he came back the third time and, uh, and played the show. Now, if I can grant that Adam knows more about music than me, I also can grant that he knows a heck of a lot more about the trends in sports and marketing than me. And his journey to becoming something of a futurist for the industry features several stops with some of the most recognizable sports brands around. I started out actually as a, as a track and cross country guy, and uh, and then you know when when I got to Florida, I uh, had a one of my good buddies' friends worked in the athletic department, and uh, he needed people to work in the athletic department. And so I started to do that while I was in school. And I was originally, uh, you know, an undergrad in history. And a lot of my writing uh, and and the work that I did was sports related. And Mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example. You know, I I wrote one of my theses on the 1968 Olympics and student activism and, and how you had these 
these young men, many who were college students from different parts of the country come together and coalesce and say, wow, how, how should we, and it, you know, it's very prescient for a lot of the things that we're talking about now in yeah. 2021. How, how should we behave uh, in the wake of the civil rights movement? And, and they had these incredible conversations about what ultimately manifested in the protests in 68. And so I, I was always interested in that nexus of, 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 you know, cultural history with an accent on sports. So that's kind of where I was. But the end result was, Jonathan, you know, back then when you didn't know what you were going to do, uh, you were like, well, I'll go to law school. That's what I'll do. <laughs> and so I was on a, you know, I was on a path to do with no disrespect to attorneys. My sure. father's an attorney, my best friend's an attorney, but you know, so, and then I started working in the athletic department and, and, and I really got into it of, wow, I, I never really behind the scenes and all of the thinking that goes into what happens at a volleyball game or a track meet or a football game. And somebody has to think about all of this. And, and I had a, a, a good friend in the athletic department that said, you know, you can make a career out of this. And, uh, you're like, check I never really thought about that and and so i went home uh one spring break and and i said to my parents i said hey um so about that law school thing uh i'm kind of really interested in this whole sports business thing and uh would it be cool if i explored it and they said great thankfully my parents were wonderful children right. in the 60s they just wanted me to you can always defer you can always do that so um, my father, uh, well, and my mother both went to the University of Michigan and at, at the height of that time period was the mm -hmm. Fab Five. And so I, I finagled an internship, uh, at the University of Michigan and which my parents loved my father in particular, because now I was going to go to, you know, up North and go to a big 10 school and see how things were done. And, and so I went to the University of Michigan as part of my internship where, um, Thankfully, Jonathan, this is pre-YouTube, pre-YouTube. Okay. I like that, I like I, that I, preface you're giving I, me right I, here. I, I lived with a, a football player guy, backup safety. He was a wonderful guy. And, and you know, he knew all the athletes. And so we would go play pickup ball uh, at a place called Burns Park in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a beautiful place, you know, play, play ball. And, you know, play, run in, and, and one day – uh, they said, oh, well, uh, Jalen's going to join us. Well, well Jalen Rose comes in, plays ball. And, and, and I, as a, as a good, you know, fundamental basketball player, decided inexplicably to, to take a charge in, in a pickup game where um, Jalen Rose on a break just sort of bunny hopped and dunked over top of me, which would have been like a YouTube <laughs> moment on steroids, like, ah! <laughs> flushing over top of this dude, decided to take a charge. It was a great charge. It would have gone the other way if, if they had called it, but in the pickup game, it was people bent over in laughter for about 30 minutes after me getting sort of dunked on in a pickup game by Jalen Rose. Uh, so anyway, yes. So I, I then came back to Florida with my tail between my legs and sure. Cool. Uh, and, and then I got immersed into the athletic department and, and, and then fledgling programs in sports business were starting. Right. Right. Sort of the early nineties. And so there was a program at university of Florida that, then I said, well, gosh, you know, I, I probably should get a degree in this. 
And, and as I was doing that, I was also in the athletic department. And so you would have these weird juxtapositions of like, hmm, well, you know, kind of what they're teaching us in classes and exactly how we roll over right. here. And, you know, I, I know you and I will have a rivalry on, on Georgia, Florida, Florida, Georgia, but, you know, like Georgia, like most SEC schools, mm-hmm. they were a juggernaut in terms of Title IX and incredible female programs. And, you know, Spurrier was there at the time. So things were on the upswing. And so there was a lot of really, really great learnings of what was going on in the SEC. And, and as Florida was really getting its act together in totality across the athletic department. So it was a really good place to be at the time. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, I, I have subsequently gone back because teaching is a passion of mine, as you and I right. talked about. Right. I've even taught at Georgia, as you know. I only dislike UGA we'll, and Athens one we'll day take, a year. We'll take anybody to come by. I mean, you 364 know. 364 out of 365, I think, is fine. So, sure, yeah, one that's day good. I think, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I summarily, and, and, and programs have gotten so much more sophisticated over time. And I think back in the early 90s, they didn't have the, the same impetus that they have now. But be that as it may, uh, I, I needed a job and there was the, the former track coach at university of Florida was a man named Jimmy Carnes who actually was slated to coach the 1980 Olympic track team and never got that opportunity, hmm. but he was a wonderful man and he was kind to me, uh, and giving me a lesson in, in life as a young guy, I got a meeting with him and he was a man who didn't have to help me. Uh, and, and I couldn't help him at all, but he, he was kind enough to connect the dots for me and get me an internship in Atlanta, um, which was in advance of ACOG, right? Atlanta committee. for yeah, the yeah. So in advance of 96, I was able to come up here and, and work a, a couple test events and eventually do some grassroots sports here in town. And then, get a gig with ACOG in sponsor services. And what that was, was Jonathan McGinty was my client and you would go down to Hartsfield Jackson. And it wasn't like now where I had my phone and I could get alerts from Delta as to what was going on. I didn't, I didn't know if your plane was going to show up. I didn't know you're if just, you were on it. I didn't you're know. just crossing your fingers and guessing. So I'd stand there with my little sign and, and hope until I got to see Jonathan get off the plane. And, and then I was your driver. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I, the cool thing was, is that I, I, I made no money, but I had a seven series BMW. And <laughs> so that was my ride because they wanted the clients to, you know, and, and my boss was like, just keep it on the weekends. Just don't wreck it. All right. And I had a Texaco gas card. So what was cool, at least in that time, when, when I took a young lady out, at least for that first date, I was like, yeah, I'm rolling in my seven series. And then they realized that I really didn't have any money and I ate the dollar menu at Wendy's, but at least, you know, I had a cool. <laughs> sure. Time. Sure. And, and I, the lesson that I, that I teach to students and that was a good lesson for me, Jonathan was, mm-hmm. I got really frustrated uh, that, I mean, here was, uh, I had a master's degree. I, I was a driver in essence. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Like I, with no disrespect to people who do that, 
I'm like, I'm, I'm a driver. Until I realized that uh, you got to know me as the client and, and mm-hmm. you got to share things with me. And we would drive. I'd drive you to Columbus. I'd drive you to Savannah. I'd drive you to you know, Lake Oconee. And I, I would begin to understand what, what you were excited about, what you wish was better. Mm-hmm. And, and my bosses would say to me at the end of the day, well, you spent all day with Jonathan. I mean, what, what's, what's going on with him? And I'd say, oh my gosh, well, he really likes this. He, he, he wishes we could do this better and that better. And, and, and you realize, and you and I know this because mm-hmm. we made our livings in this business where you, you, you build relationships with people, you earn their trust and their confidence. There are things that you can't share. There are things that they want you to share. But at the end of the day, you want that relationship to be the very best it can be. Mm-hmm. And so that was an incredible learning experience for me. And, well, and, and it's, a, it's also about, and I tell this to younger folks now, it's also about like those moments like that are it's about access to people who you normally wouldn't get access to. Right. And, and you can learn not just that you're helping them from building that relationship and understanding what they are. It's helping you learn how they think, how they've been successful, what they do. And that's, that's invaluable. 100%. So I did that until like every other young person in Atlanta post-Olympics, I needed a job. (laughs) And, and thankfully I had a handful of people that I could reach out to and say, I'm going to be out of work. Does anybody know anything that's happening? And, And one of my contacts was William Pate, who has continued to be a friend and, you know, a contact for 20 plus years now. And, and he was at the time, the newly minted CMO of Bell South, which had been created. And he said to me, well, you know, there, there's a guy, there's a firm up the street that's going to get our business. And I know he's probably hiring. And uh, would you like me to uh, put in a call for you? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. <laughs> so uh, he did that. And uh, I put on my, my, my best suit and tie and, and went up and interviewed with who became a mentor friend and long-term boss, Lonnie Cooper, who uh, was the owner and operator of, at the time, career sports management, later entertainment. And, and he's gone on to create a holding company with a handful of other companies at the time. But he needed somebody at the time. It was just agents and he needed somebody to to run and build his fledgling corporate practice working with corporations like bell south and later singular and coca-cola and aflac and others uh, to guide them on their sports and entertainment sponsorships so uh, i he gave me the opportunity to be on the ground floor and to build that business out and so i was with him for quite some time he's still a dear friend and a mentor of mine and and i got to learn that side the agency Mm -hmm. business with the accent on, on corporations. And then later in my career with him, actually working with representing talent, uh, whether those mm-hmm. be uh, coaches or, or, or broadcasters and so forth. So um, it's a wonderful teacher and a great mentor. And, and I did that for a number of years. And, and you worked your way up because you became, you became president. at CIA. I did. I did. I did. Um, I did have an opportunity to become president of, of that firm and, and uh, you know, it, 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 it moved into a lot of things which, which were really, really relevant to where we are now, content business and starting networks. And 
experimenting with technologies. We, we did a, a lab with MIT to experiment with AR and VR and some of that stuff well before it was fashionable and all things digital, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the digital transformation. And, uh, you know, it's funny when, again, I talk to people, talk to students and say, I remember a time before the internet. And they're like, what dinosaur? What in the hell are you talking about? And, and I'm like, yeah, no, it, it, it was really transformative this this whole thing called the web and you know but you think about that and you and i live through that that, oh. that uh, how seismic that was and i think we've got a couple other seismic moments happening but mm -hmm. uh but navigating into all things digital and, and adopting digital realm um so it was a really good learning laboratory and and there were no bad ideas and right and that's something i've tried to take here is that there was the relentless drive to, you know, to, to think and, and to not stand still and to be a step ahead of your client, which meant that you had to continue to push yourself. And so that's a good training ground. Yeah. And, and that's that, that agency challenge. I mean, I remember that when I was at Jackson Spalding, it's what we're trying to do now. I'm, I'm interested because I'm assuming you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming the answer is, well, there's only like 30 something of these jobs on the planet. That's why I took the job. But you had, I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of autonomy, a lot of creativity, a lot of freedom yeah. being president of yeah. a firm like that. And then the transition to working for a, franchise. You know, for a franchise. And there's probably some institutional, uh, when you got there, some institutional knowledge and institutional boundaries that may not present themselves day to day in the agency world. What was that thought process like for you? I, I'm always fascinated by those types yeah. of big moves. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, and, and you can appreciate this as a as an agency person. You know, the, you, you balance art and commerce. And, mm -hmm. and, and I found myself, you know, in my role being more about you know, billings and, 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 and who's doing what and project management and, and all of what is essential. And, 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 and obviously, is in, it, it, you have to have that. You have to right. manage budgets and P&Ls and so forth. But I found myself, Jonathan, getting further and further from the work. And, and that, that's kind of one of the lessons that I, that I learned myself and I try to impart to other people. I'm like, the good news with advancement is you advance. And, but sometimes you get farther from what you love, what brought you into the business. And I, and I, and I missed my clients. I missed being able to do the work uh, because I always had an eye to, well, okay, uh, what am I, what's my margins on this? And, and, and it became a little bit more of that. And, and so again, you, you know, the, the power of the network as you and I both know, I mean, I had known Derek Schiller for a very long time and uh it was just one of those real providential moments where we were overdue and we're trying to catch up and, and, and get a cocktail. And we, we sat down and, and uh, I knew a little bit about what the Braves were up to just a little bit because of, you know, they did an excellent job of, of not tipping their hand and showing the world what they were up to. Right. But, you know, at that point the, the news was out, they were moving. And so that was interesting just from an industry perspective and, so I, I knew what I knew until he pulled back the curtain and said, yeah, you, you really don't 
understand all of what we're thinking about <laughs> over here. And so I was like, wow. And, you know, we had a good night and, 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 you know, I woke up the next morning and, and I was like, well, that was a fun night. Did, did we, did we talk a little bit about, but, but and sure enough, who's now become a dear friend, uh, you know, Natalie worked closely with him and called me and said, Derek would like to know if you'd like to continue our, you know, your conversation. And I said, yeah, I would, I really would. And, and when we sat down and, and he really explained to me that, that, that this was really going to be transformative in the industry, that we were really going to move into commercial real estate as an asset class and what all that meant and, and where that was going to take the franchise and that I would have the opportunity to build again uh, and, and, and do a lot of that and, and work with him directly uh, and, and help build out the vision of where we are now with a franchise that was saying to everybody and ultimately paid it off. Hey, this is going to be terrible. We're going to tear it down, but we're going to mm-hmm. build it back up the right way. And we're going to be really, really good. Uh, so I, I said, well, gosh, this is something I've really, I've got to explore the opportunity to work on some different verticals, the opportunity to really think about a transformative business model. And so it was right. It was right to, for me to sit down with Lonnie and, and say, this is why I think this move is, is correct for me. And I love you. And you're, you're going to continue to be who you are with a bunch of talented people here. And they have gone on to thrive and, and, right. and we parted as friends and we still are. And I joined uh, when we were closing Turner Field and when mm-hmm. we were coming out of the ground here. The Braves have put geography to work for them, building a passionate and dedicated fan base that spans the Southeast. Braves country extends from North Carolina to Mississippi, giving the franchise a unique opportunity to build on their brand presence. Among the many tools in their kit is a relatively new ballpark and sprawling entertainment district that has a little something for everybody. From a pure business model perspective, that, you know, there are traditionally four ways to make money in professional sports, all things building, tickets and your per cap, right? Merchandising, your sponsorships and your media rights. Okay, that's that's base package of how you make money in professional sports and in college, right? Mm-hmm. And when you sit down with, with ownership uh, and, and billionaires or, you know, sophisticated, you know, companies are like, Okay, Jonathan, so we're going to have a little bit of lift here because that's a multi-year deal. There's a little bit of lift there. Great. But then when you start to throw in commercial real estate as a new variable to the business model where you can own things, you can lease things, you can rent things, you know, all of the various permutations that come with having commercial real estate as an asset class from a business model perspective, that's incredible. And then from a 365-day, you know, a year model that we have out here, where, yes, I think passionately about 81 home baseball games, but I also think about the rest of the So I want you to come out here and go to a show at the Roxy and go to the restaurants and the bars or come out here and watch Georgia play Clemson, right? I mean, I, I, we really think about that in totality of, of how we make this thing live and breathe year-round. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a very holistic approach. You know, you mentioned college. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a bit yeah, here. Yeah, sure. Because... Um, it's something that I'm fascinated by, and I've had conversations with folks who are kind of in this space. Uh, but y'all got into NIL, which yes. one I think is is 
is really an awesome move for y'all because, and I, I mean, I think it's great for the college athletes as well. I think it's long overdue for them to be able to cash in on their, on their, their, their likeness and their name and their image. Um, how did that idea come to be and how are y'all, how are y'all utilizing the student athletes you have now? Well, you know, let me digress a little bit to talk to you about our college strategy. Sure. I will appreciate this as SEC guys. And, you know, the Braves are the only baseball team in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. A wide swath of territory. And, and back in the day when that meant something pre-internet, right, each team has a fixed geography. That still exists today. And so our geography looks a lot like the SEC. State of Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, big chunk of North Carolina, Mississippi. We don't really claim 30A, but, you know, 30A kind of leans brace. All right. So we've got that swath. And, and, and one of our huge insights was, well, what else do people who love the Braves care about? College football. They love college football. And so we endeavored to, to really say, well, you know, what would that look like if we were aggressive? And again, to what you and I just talked about, Jonathan, and I to the battery the rest of the year mm-hmm. made sense for us to drive college football. NFL didn't really work for us because we have three or four teams in our footprint, right? And even though we want to be all in on Falcons, we want to make sure we're taking care of our friends in North Carolina and in Tennessee and so forth. College was a logical place. Mm-hmm. And so we went out and we created a bunch of co-branded merchandise, some of which I think you own. I do happen to have a hat. I should have worn it for this podcast. There you go. And, and those things fly. And, mm-hmm. and we have scaled those with most of your schools in the ACC and the SEC and, and, and HBCUs. And those have become a, a very lucrative line of, of apparel and ticket promotion packages for us. Right. So we, we're already big in the college space and for a lot of different reasons. And then when NIL started, we said, okay, well, that that would be a logical augment to where we already are. And it also gives us a chance to test and learn on things that are important to us. Well, we want to get into the college market. We are in the college market, but how can we continue to be in the college market? Do we have our social influence or strategy exactly right? What have we learned from that? Uh, And and it's an interesting trend in terms of, of what college athletes who people in our footprint are passionate about following, mm-hmm. uh, what would that look like? And so we're, we're big on, as you know, here, uh, iterating and we're, we're, we're big on, wouldn't it be cool if, as opposed to my only concern is now there's a place for my only concern is, but in my <laughs> right. mind, it comes down the road after, wouldn't it be cool if we went out and partnered with college athletes? Well, what could that look like? And so we decided that that was exactly right for us. And we made the move and and we looked at, uh, we wanted to do a male and female athlete and Georgia and Georgia tech were the logical first places for us to start. Sure. And so we, we, we put out an all call and we were bombarded by, (laughs) by, by athletes that wanted to work with us who loved the team and thought that that would be a great relationship. And, uh, you know, we, we selected our athlete uh, from Georgia and our athlete from Georgia Tech, and we're off and running. And I'm very pleased with what I see so far. Are they primarily just doing, because this is something that I've had discussions with internally for our business of, you know, could we find some students who maybe have an interest in journalism or communications and leverage them into, you know, we're going to we're going to pay you and sponsor you, but we're also want to give you like storytelling opportunities. Yeah. How are, how are y'all activating them? How are you putting them to use for the brand? 
Yeah. So we're, we've invited them to come out and, and to your exact point, mm-hmm. chronicle their day with us, uh, that they go out to the battery and they have some fun out in the battery, either pre and post. And then they come in and they enjoy the game. And, and so we've asked them to chronicle their entire day, afternoon, evening through all of their social channels. And uh, then we outfit them. We take them to the store and they get a shopping spree of some latest, greatest gear. And then we furnish them with a, if, if you like what I'm wearing or, you know, you want a discount, then click here. And so that's where, you know, a lot of the mm-hmm. social influencer strategy that we're seeing in other verticals, we're trying to apply in this space. You know, will that work? Mm-hmm. And so far it is. Uh, so far, we're getting really good return on that. And um, we, we will, once we kind of test and learn a little bit more on the two athletes we have, we'll look to scale. You know, I always tell this to people. I don't, you're, because you're talking about testing and seeing how it works. I don't, I think folks here, I want to work in sports and it's going to be fun nonstop. They don't realize the prep work. They don't realize the hours. I've, yeah. I had uh, the woman who runs social media for the University of Georgia on as a yeah. guest. And she said, I don't have a weekend. People who have weddings in the fall, you just don't see me. You don't, you know, not to invite me, but there's so much other stuff that goes into it. It's incredibly rewarding. I love working with sports, uh, having sports clients, but there are, uh, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people just don't anticipate or know. No, it's true. You have to coach people uh, who come into it that you work weekends, you work holidays, you work long hours. Uh, it can be tough on people that are close to you. It can be tough on family members. It can be tough on your relationships that you're like, I, I, it's not that I want to be there. It's because I have to be there. It's my job. You know, I'm not super fan sitting out there. In fact, being super fan is probably not who you want to hire. Right. And, uh, but, but I think what I get people back to is I'm a big Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. If you ever read Simon Sinek and his, his work? Mm-hmm. I, I love, you know, start with why. Mm-hmm. Why do you do what you do? And, and that became particularly appropriate during COVID times, right? Why, why do you do what you do? And why I do what I do is I see joy. Mm-hmm. I get to see people come out and, and be with their family, be with somebody they may, may, they may marry, you know, be with their grandfather, be with their children and the memories that they make. Uh, and the memories that we can help create. Uh, and so my creative director and I, uh, we will walk around um, most every game before the game and just sort of observe people. And yes, we want to see kind of what people are wearing and what they're doing and so forth. But it also is very energizing to see that, to see joy. And so that for me is my real motivation is that you, you get to work on things sometimes for a year. Sometimes we plan things for a year plus and we deploy them and and to see people react to that and, and enjoy it and, and share that joy. And that really hit me, Jonathan, when, I'm, when I was closing Turner Field and people were bombarding me with their memories of Turner Field. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my gosh, you know, I remember this game or, man, I was there when Chipper did this or I met my wife at the Chop House or that was the last game I went to with my granddad. And people were sharing these incredibly personal stories that were interwoven, just like your relationship with the University of Georgia or mine with Florida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a part of who you are. And that's not hyperbole. I mean, and that's part of, of, of 
what we do in sports or people have a connection. We started our conversation talking about Jason Isbell, right? People have a connection to an artist, to a team, and it's incredibly personal and you make it your own. And so that that's a treasure. I mean, in my role and my team's role, you have to really honor and cherish that. That's that's really, really combustible. Better in Real Life is a production of Trestle Collective. It's hosted by me, Jonathan McGinty, with original music and editing by Joe Van Hoos. For more, visit TrestleCollective.com, and be sure to let us know what you think of the show. <laughs>